Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Rabbi Yaakov Glasser, and I have the great privilege of serving as the David Mitzner Dean of Yeshiva University's Center for the Jewish Future. On behalf of Yeshiva University, it is my great pleasure to welcome you tonight to a community conversation that truly captures the identity and the vision of our institution of Yeshiva University. As really an extension of the values that Rabbi Berman, Rabbi Dr. Ari Berman, the president of YU, talks about all the time, the five Torot, the value of Torah's Chaim, the notion that we apply our values to our lives and to the lives of those around us, is truly captured by our discussion here tonight. Rabbi Berman often reflects upon YU's unique posture in the landscape of the broader Jewish community and broader society that we are deeply rooted and that we are forward-focused. The notion that we are ultimately defined by our values, by our ideals, by our tradition, and at the same time, we strive to live in a world and to engage that world, to progress that world, and to deal with the reality around us and making an impact on our community and on greater society. There's no question that COVID-19 has reoriented so many aspects of our lives, and there is no question that it will forever be part of our story. And the development of a vaccine to address the spread of COVID is obviously a game changer, not only for all of us on this call, on this program, but for the entire world. And tonight we convene to address both dimensions our deeply rooted values and ideals, our tradition, our halacha, our Torah, what is our spiritual and halachic perspective on this moment of our story, of our history, of the world, and of course, our forward thinking, our science, our health, our public policy implications as well. And our two speakers tonight are two incredibly eminent leaders in the Jewish community, Rav Mordechai Willig, who is, of course, a Rosh Yeshiva and a Rosh Kolel at Ritz, the Rav of the Young Israel of Riverdale, a Posek, to so many throughout our community, has been so involved and at the forefront of halachic and public policy throughout the experience of COVID. And Dr. Aaron Glatt, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Glatt, the chairman and chief of infectious diseases, the hospital epidemiologist of Mount Sinai Nassau Hospital, who is also a noted Talmud Chacham and the associate Rav of the Young Israel of Woodman. And this very conversation captures so much of what distinguishes our YU community throughout this pandemic. The absolute mutuality and deference between poskim and medical experts in charting a course forward that protects the health of our community and is reflective of a proper path of ideals and this symbiotic relationship between the rabbinic leadership and the medical leadership of our community that has been playing out through our students, through our alumni, and through the rabbinic and medical leaders of communities all over the world, is evidenced no more explicitly than in the dynamic between Rav Willig and Rabbi Dr. Glatt. So tonight we turn to both of them for their wisdom and for their guidance and to bring us all together at this very special moment in the unfolding narrative of the COVID-19 experience, which has become so central to our identity and to our lives. We're going to begin tonight's program with Dr. Glatt, and this is for scheduling reasons, as well as to create and give us the context of the medical information and all of the ancillary elements that are necessary to properly appreciate where we are at this very moment. In in introducing Dr. Glatt, I'm going to uh, relate a number of questions, and then I'm going to turn the floor over to him uh, to lay out for us a sense of guidance and a sense of perspective. Dr. Glatt, if there is one value that we have all come to deeply respect through this pandemic, and a lot due to your leadership, It is the critical importance of not taking risks with our health. And this perhaps is the source of what at a moment that would seem to be a moment of great elation and excitement, the introduction of a vaccine, we also encounter a simmering sense of communal anxiety as well. 
because it's new, because we're not doctors, we're not scientists, we're not researchers, and we are unfamiliar with the substance and the nuances of the medical elements of the introduction of a vaccine to the world population. And so we've come together tonight uh, to be educated, inspired, and guided by yourself in the following areas of understanding. If you could please, Dr. Glatt, speak to us about the safety and efficacy of the vaccine. Should everyone be taking the vaccine? Is there anyone that should not be taking the vaccine? How is the vaccine different than other vaccines? Should we be concerned that it seems to have been developed so quickly? How does one vaccine from one company differ from the vaccine that's been developed by another company? Will taking the vaccine indeed reorient our entire lifestyle and allow us to remove the masks, to cease social distancing? Will it in fact change the fundamentals of our behavior as we have come to know them uh, after the previous number of months? Now, Dr. Glatt, uh, it's a great honor for us to have you here this evening, and I turn the floor over to you. Thank you very, very much, Rabbi Glasser. Thank you. I, I appreciate very much being here tonight. It's a tremendous cover to me, uh, unbelievable cover to me to be speaking with my Rebbe, Rebbe Yamari, Harav Mordechai, Willig Shlita. And uh, I certainly always say this whenever I'm on a panel with him, that I, I do not it in front of him, and I don't say anything that should be taken as a psakaloch in front of my Rebbe, Yamari. And uh, if I do say something, I hope the Rebbe will, of course, correct me. And I, I certainly don't mean to it in front of the Rebbe. It is, uh, I think, an extremely exciting time, while at the same time, it's a dangerous time in terms of our uh, being in this pandemic with COVID-19. We're seeing, again, more and more cases in the entire country, across the entire world. We're hearing about new uh, strains of the virus that potentially might be more contagious. I'll talk about that as well. But I'd like to really focus tonight on the vaccine and the tremendous uh, thanks that we have to have towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I say a quick vart. I saw a beautiful idea from this past parsha where it says, Paro Cholem, Paro had a dream. So Chazal tell us that Paro dreamt this dream every night for two years. So why did he have to dream it every night for two years? It would have been enough to dream it one time and then it would help out Yosef HaTzadik and he would get out of the dungeon that he was in why did Paro have to dream it every night for two years? So they bring a mice from the Baal Shem Tov with one of his Talmidim, Rav Mendel. And one time they were going out someplace and they were very thirsty. They didn't have any water. And Rav Mendel said to the Baal Shem Tov, what are we going to do about water? And the Baal Shem Tov said, don't worry. Hashem will bring us water. You just have to be a mamin in Hashem. You have to have bitochon. A day passed, two days passed, three days passed. They still didn't have water. Suddenly, they meet up with a person who's looking for some sheep. And the person says, I've been out here for three days. Maybe you've seen my sheep. I'm looking for my sheep. And the person said to the Baal Shem Tov and to Rav Mendel, maybe you've seen my sheep. And they said, yes, we saw some sheep. They were a little bit away. And he said, thank you so much for returning and getting me back my sheep. What can I do for you? They said, well, we're thirsty. Do you have any water? He said, sure, I have plenty of water. And he gave them water to drink. And remember last about Shem Tov, I don't understand. Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu make this guy stay out here for three days? We needed him now. He could have come whenever he came. Why did he have to be out here for three days? What was the reason for the three days? The Baal Shem Tov told Rav Mendel, if you really were Mamin in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he was there day one for us. He could have given us the water on day one. But you didn't have enough Bimuna. You didn't have enough Bitochun in Hashem. And it took three days. And the old supplies, he says, that's exactly what happened with Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef was held accountable in some way for having a somewhat slight lack of total emunah that HaKadosh Baruch would get him out of the jail. And he relied on the Sar HaMashkim to get him out of the jail. And that's why Paro dreamt the dream. Paro was ready to get Yosef out two years previously. But Yosef didn't get out of the jail right away. It was his lack of somehow on his madrega, too much relying on his shtadlus of his own to get out and not relying on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hasn't been two years since we've had this virus and it hasn't been two years since the development of this vaccine. 
we have to understand that this is an unbelievable chesed that HaKadosh Baruch has given us to develop a virus, a vaccine to this virus in such a short period of time. The average time it normally takes to develop a vaccine takes 11 years. The fastest it's ever been done with the Ebola virus, which took five years. So it's an unbelievable chesed from Hashem that within one year, less than one year, we've been able to come up with not one, but two very excellent, safe, efficacious vaccines with more on the way. And if you count the Russian vaccines and Chinese vaccines, which we don't know a lot about, there will hopefully be many successful vaccines. And that will be eventually the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu steers us out of this pandemic. But this has led to a lot of questions. Why should we take this vaccine? Is it safe? Is there new technology involved here? Is it dangerous? Can women take this pre- this vaccine? Will it lead to Rahman problems with pregnancy, with fertility? All sorts of questions, some legitimate, some just unfortunately thrown out there by people just to cause trouble. And I would like to go through in the few minutes that I have to tell you why this is an extremely safe, why it's an extremely efficacious, and why this vaccine, while it involves new technology, should be something that we should be jumping up and down thanking HaKadosh Baruch And as soon as we can, we should take this vaccine. It's being rolled out in Eretz Yisrael. It's being rolled out here in the United States and across the world. It is a wonderful, wonderful vaccine that HaKadosh Baruch has given us. So let's look at this vaccine and say, how come it's here so fast? The vaccines normally take 11 years. Ebola was five years. How come this vaccine took less than one year to develop? And the answer is because there was a concerted effort on behalf of the government. What everyone thinks about uh, this administration, I'm not here to talk politics. Operation Warp Speed was an unbelievable success, better than anybody could have possibly imagined. And that's one of the reasons why this vaccine has come forward so quickly. Because many of the steps that normally would have been done in a stepwise progression, first you do step one, then you do step two, then you do step three. So the government guaranteed the pharmaceutical industry that they would be reimbursed for their vaccine, whether it worked or whether it didn't work. And therefore, they started producing vaccine almost as soon as the idea came into their heads how to make this vaccine. And when the very, very preliminary trials showed that they had promise, they started producing vaccines. So we saved ourselves months and months and months in terms of the ramping up of the vaccine production, which normally no company would take the risk of producing billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of vaccine without knowing for sure that they wouldn't suffer financial impact. And here the government guaranteed that they wouldn't suffer financial impact. Normally, the regulators are finding out about the study afterwards, and then they have concerns or or questions, and they say, go back to the drawing board. Here, the regulators worked with the industry, and they came up with the perfect study so that you didn't have to go to the regulators and have a lot of questions asked afterwards. Well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? It was all coordinated and all done very, very well beforehand. Not one step was skipped. There were the preclinical studies. There were phase one trials. There were phase two trials. And we just concluded the initial phase three trials. And what's so beautiful about this is that you had two companies, Pfizer and Moderna, each working with a similar but not identical mRNA vaccine candidate. And each of them independently developed this vaccine candidate and had essentially identical results in terms of both the efficacy and the safety of the vaccine, two totally parallel but unconnected studies that showed the identical results. That is about as good a scientific proof that you can have from a double-blind prospective study to be done in parallel by two large studies looking at each about 40, 30 to 40,000 patients each, half of which got the placebo, the sugar water vaccine, and half of which got real vaccine. And these studies were completed in record time because of the enrollment being pushed forward, because of the urgency, but not because any steps were skipped, not because any shortcuts were taken. 
not because any safety concerns were pushed to the side, but in fact, everything was done kedas v'chidim. Everything was done exactly the way that it should be. The results were analyzed by separate advisory committees that have nothing to do with the vaccine, have nothing to do with the company, have no financial incentive. They're not government employees. They're not Democrats or Republicans. They don't have any skin in the game as to whether the vaccine should work or not, other than scientific evidence. These are impeccable, credentialed experts in the field who review the safety data, review the efficacy data, presented it in the normal way that these things are normally presented. No steps were bypassed. And they brought it forward. And they essentially unanimously voted. The only reason why the initial Pfizer had some doubters was because of the age. The Pfizer vaccine is approved for the age of 16 and up. And it wasn't really tried in the 16 and 17 and 18-year-olds. So there were some doubters that said you shouldn't use it in that group. But nobody doubted that in the 18 and up group, it can get authorization. It should be recommended to get authorization, which was done. And the Moderna vaccine, one week later, essentially the same data were looked at by the advisory committee. The same results were made. Here it was a unanimous vote because they only looked for an indication for 18 and up, which is where it was studied. And the FDA has authorized initially the Pfizer and now the Moderna vaccine for actual usage. And it is being rolled out as we speak. I Baruch Hashem, Wazocha, to get my first dose of the vaccine. I know many, many, many healthcare workers on the front lines have rushed forward to receive their vaccine. And people should be reassured that even though this was brought forward in an unbelievably rapid fashion, there is no step of safety that was skipped. There was nothing that was bypassed to get to these wonderful results. Now, what are these wonderful results? Let's talk a little bit about it. Both of these studies, looking at tens of thousands of patients who actually got the vaccine, both showed an unbelievable efficacy of 95%. Again, it's uncanny that both studies had the exact same results. When you're dealing with large statistical populations, this is really what you'd like to see. If the drug works, if the medication works, if the vaccine works, you'd like to see it able to be repeated time after time again. It shouldn't be a fluke. It shouldn't be some quirk. And that's exactly what these two parallel studies showed. Neither one was connected to the other. Nobody had knowledge of what the other was doing. And yet both studies showed 95% efficacy. In fact, if you combine both of these studies, you essentially showed that there was no severe disease once people got vaccinated, as opposed to in the control groups, the people that did not get vaccinated there was a very large amount of severe COVID disease that developed in these non-vaccinated patients. Indeed, one and only one patient developed severe disease in the Pfizer group that got vaccinated. All the other severe disease was in the placebo group, the sugar water, the fake vaccine group, the placebo group. And in the Moderna study, not even one case of severe disease was seen in the vaccinated group. These two vaccines are essentially identical. There is no difference between them from a practical point of view. I've been asked many times, which one would you take? I would take whichever one I could get. I would tell anybody that had the ability to get this vaccine to go and take it. Don't say, well, I want the Moderna. No, I want the Pfizer. They're identical from a practical clinical point of view. They're slightly different in the way that they're prepared. There are slight differences in the way that they're stored, in the way that they're distributed. Those are for clinicians to worry about. Those are for the distributors, the doctors, the government to worry about. One requires a higher level of cold storage or freezing to almost uh, minus 100 degrees Fahrenheit. The other one does not require such deep freezing. Those are technical concerns that should have nothing to do with whether you take the vaccine or not. They'll just be how well it gets distributed, which places will be able to have the deep freezer to store it and which places won't. But the vaccines are essentially identical in terms of their efficacy. And what about their safety? These are unbelievably safe vaccines. 
It is a new technology, and that's what has people appropriately questioning how safe will these vaccines be. It involves mRNA. Now, mRNA is not going to make you into a mutant. mRNA doesn't affect your DNA. mRNA will be out of your body in a very short period of time. Your body has tons of mRNA in it. mRNA is what we use to manufacture proteins. So instead of giving you, as normal vaccine technology does, some sort of a uh, antigen that your body will react to and go and develop an antibody against. So you'll sometimes get a weakened virus or you'll get a dead virus or you'll get pieces of a virus and your body reacts to that and hopefully will protect you when you get exposed to the real virus. Here in a very brilliant idea, which will probably have huge ramifications for all vaccines going forward. Instead of giving you a piece of virus, we give you mRNA. The mRNA codes and tells your building blocks, your proteins, how to be built. And it builds the spike protein. It gets inside the cells and it tells the cells, go and produce this spike protein. This spike protein is then released and your body recognizes it. And your body says, that's a foreign body. That's an invader. That's something we want to attack. And your body will develop antibodies to it. And now your body is prepared in case you do get infected with COVID-19 to attack it right away. And it was shown to work extremely well. And it was shown to be extremely safe. People had the same level of serious complications, which were very, very, very few. There were very, very few adverse reactions in the placebo group as often as in the vaccine group. The placebo group had more deaths than in the vaccine group. That doesn't mean that taking the placebo was dangerous. It just means that the vaccine is not dangerous. The vaccine didn't cause even one death. During the vaccine studies, they looked for many, many different types of side effects. People have to realize that the vast majority of side effects from vaccines, we have a hundred year experience with vaccines, occur within the first six weeks, usually even sooner than that. They have follow-up of at least two months on every single patient in these studies. Some of them have three and four months of follow-up already. And no significant serious adverse reactions have occurred more in the vaccine group than in the placebo group. That is phenomenally good news. That means these vaccines are extremely safe. You're not going to become a mutant. You're not going to get x-ray vision. You're not going to have three fingers growing out of your arms. You're not going to have all sorts of problems as a result of this vaccine. It doesn't cause changes in your DNA. It doesn't integrate into your DNA. It's silly. It's nonsense for people to suggest that anything terrible is going to happen from these vaccines. We cannot guarantee what will happen in the future. These vaccines, in fact, we, we never know with a vaccine any unusual or very rare side effects. We've tested this vaccine in 40,000 people so far. Plus, now we've tested it in already others, many others as well. This vaccine could have a rare one in 100,000, one in a million type of a complication. But people have to realize that 300,000 people have died from COVID already. And in fact, Rahman al-Litzlan, we're expecting more than 300,000 people to die in the next couple of months in the United States with the increased incidents that we're seeing. If we could prevent those with the vaccine, even if there was a one in 100,000, one in a million chance of some complication, how could you not take this vaccine? Especially, especially knowing that you could be preventing so many other people from getting sick. This is a tremendous chesed that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done to us. I want to talk about some specific groups. Everybody's concerned. There's a lot of nonsense out there about infertility. There is no scientific evidence whatsoever that this vaccine can cause infertility. There is, unfortunately, a a strong anti-vaxxer lobby out there. And there's a lot of fake news. There's a lot of nonsense that's being put out there that this vaccine is very, very similar. The spike protein that is very, very similar to a, a certain type of protein called syncytin-1 and syncytin-2. 
and that you can develop antibody to this and that will, that will attack your placenta and you won't be able to have a pregnancy. It's just nonsense. There are 44,000 women in the United States who are pregnant who have had COVID. There is no evidence that it attacks the placenta. We make antibody, 100% of the people that get COVID make the same antibody that the vaccine is producing. There's no difference between that vaccine-induced immunity and the natural immunity in this antibody to the spike protein. So there's no reason to think that it causes infertility or that it destroys the placenta. In fact, COVID-19 in a pregnant woman has a higher risk than if she doesn't get COVID-19. So women with pregnancy and COVID-19 are at increased risk from COVID-19. It is actually recommended by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology that if a woman is pregnant, she can take the vaccine. They say it's the woman's choice, but there's no contraindication if you're pregnant to taking this vaccine. Allah has come become how much more so if you're not pregnant, if you're just thinking of getting pregnant. This can be a life-saving thing for nurses on the front line, doctors on the front line, where they're, never, they're facing serious potential illness. And even if you're, quote, young and you don't worry about dying, which unfortunately is not true, much less younger people die than older people. But there's long COVID. There are the, the, the people who have long-term consequences of COVID. COVID can be a very serious illness. There, there's brain fog, there's fatigue. Even if you're young, you're susceptible to all of these problems. There's an increased mortality in younger people. Nobody should say, I'm immune from COVID, big deal if I get COVID. That's nonsense, that's crazy. And if you're on the front lines and you can take this vaccine, I've been asked this by many young from women, absolutely take this vaccine. I would even recommend it to frontline people who are pregnant to take this vaccine. And Allah has come for kama. It's just they're trying to get pregnant or they're potentially a pregnancy age. Absolutely, there is zero concern, no scientific evidence to suggest not to take this. People who are very sick, they're especially the ones that should take this. All the people with cancer, people who are immunocompromised, people who are elderly. The vaccine, Baruch Hashem, works wonderful in elderly people. Some vaccines don't work as well in older people. This vaccine works very well in older people. They have less complications, less side effects. Most of the side effects that you see with this vaccine are local side effects. They, your arm may hurt you. You may get some local tenderness, some local chills, myalgias, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of, of muscle pain. These things go away in a day or two. We follow all of these patients. Vaccines have two systems, the VAR system and a now a V-safe system that the government follows people. One of them is voluntary. The other one is anybody can report any vaccine complication. And we have years and years of experience with other vaccines, knowing that we can monitor well for long-term side effects. So I just want to reassure people, while this is rapid and unbelievably good news, there isn't a concern that people should have that's a realistic concern that this is all going to change in five months from now, we're going to find out all these horrible things, Rahman al-Islam. That's just simply not true. Finally, in my last minutes or two, I just want to talk about what this will mean once the vaccine is out there. If people take this vaccine, and the great Gedolim, Harav Willich Shlita, has, has possibly that this, you'll hear himself say that it's a chiv to take this vaccine. So have other great Gedolim Yisrael. The most anti-vaccine Gedolim have said, ask your doctor, and if your doctor says to take this vaccine, take this vaccine. These are by Gedolim that normally don't encourage vaccination. But the vast majority of Gedolim strongly require you to take this vaccine or at least strongly recommend it. And I'll just add one or two things to that and then turn it over to our Rav Willich Shlita. It is a hallmark of the Jewish people that we're known as Gomle Chasodim, Rachmanim. We are people that care about other people. What a great kiyom of the mitzvah saseh of Gomilus Chasodim to take this vaccine so that you will create and help create herd immunity so that this vaccine can eradicate this horrible COVID-19 novel coronavirus. The more people that take this, the less likely anybody will get sick and will reach that magical herd immunity, which we estimate to need to be about 70% of the population to take this vaccine. Once we reach those numbers, life can go back to normal. 
We don't have to worry about kids with their chavrusa. We don't have to worry about going to shul. We don't have to worry about kiddushes. We don't have to worry about simchas. Life will return to normal if people take this vaccine. I know many people are, are, are rushing and eager to take this vaccine, but there are people that are hesitant about it. You can be Makayim Amitzas to say a Gmilas Chasodim by taking this vaccine. You can be Makayim Akiyam Asay of Nishmatim Otis Nafshal Seichem by taking this vaccine, keeping yourself and everybody else healthy, both in Klai Yisrael and throughout the world. We can open up Eretz Yisrael. We can go Davin at the Kotel. We can go to Samachot in Eretz Yisrael. We can go hug our grandchildren if people take this vaccine. For the immediate future, we still will have to mask in social distance. That's not going to go away right away. But the Ezra's Hashem Yisbarach, it will go away. And we will get back to normal. When I had the schus to take this vaccine, I said with, I think, great kavana, that's a tvila, lili yiratzon, a trina that you're supposed to say before you take every medication. And I said this with great fervor. And I said it for all of Klai Yisrael. Let this vaccine be Be'ezus Hashem, the refuah that we so much look forward to. Let this machala that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given to us for reasons that we don't understand go away. And Be'ezus Hashem, let us all be healthy and safe. Mietz Hashem, let us all be able to get vaccinated. And Be'ezus Hashem, let us be able to go back to the normal way of life and all the wonderful Jewish rituals and the wonderful Torah that we can learn together, closely together with Chavrusas, and enjoy our beautiful Jewish life. Again, Rabbi Glasser, I thank you very, very much for inviting me. It's my great honor. I think the one silver lining in all of this cloud is I've had to, a, a chance to, to meet with many Gedoli Yisrael and to uh, always talk with Ramulik Shlita, my Rebbe, Umori, and uh, many times during this epidemic, we're speaking several times a day, and that's been the only silver lining, if I can suggest, during this epidemic that I had a chance to speak to the Rebbe so often. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Glad, thank you so much. Um, and I can't, since we really, without exaggeration, have thousands of people on this uh, call on the different platforms, I, I have to take this opportunity on behalf, certainly of the general community, but I, I speak for the Rabbanim. I know, you know, myself in my own shul, and I know hundreds of Rabbanim around the country who have just um, found you to be a just constant source of support and guidance and thousands of emails and phone calls and conference calls and Zooms. And it's, if it's been a privilege for you to get to know many Gedola Yisrael greater, it's been a privilege for all of us to get to know you. You are an incredibly sensitive and deep human being, and we deeply appreciate everything you've done for our community. Thank you. It's now my great uh, honor to turn the floor over to Rav Willig. Uh, Rav Willig, of course, has been a source of tremendous halachic guidance, hashkafic guidance, and personal guidance to so many, so many people uh, dealing with just an unending number of shilas that have arisen as a result of the total reorientation of so many aspects of our community, from tefillah to smachot, uh, to very complex and heart-wrenching life decisions about how to deal with end-of-life issues, how to deal with where to travel for various circumstances. And uh, so many of us have found uh, the balanced wisdom as well as the sense of clarity uh, from Rav Willig in terms of giving us that guidance uh, to get through this very difficult time. So, Rav Willig, we're going to turn to you, Rebbe, to provide perspective on the following. Number one, are we obligated to take this vaccine? Is it a suggestion? Is it an obligation? Is it a chiyuv? Is it a mitzvah? Um, if we could be so bold as to ask if Rebbe himself intends uh, on taking the vaccine, is there a priority in halacha for those who are older or more at risk in terms of their professions? Should we be considering that in terms of where we position ourselves in uh, getting an opportunity to take the vaccine? And from a policy standpoint, should shuls and schools uh, begin to formulate policies that require their constituents to vaccinate? How would that exactly look in our community, especially at the beginning? 
And finally, in the experience in general of taking the vaccine, is there any sort of bracha or tefillah, Dr. Glad alluded to a tefillah that he recited, um, is there any sort of way to ritualize this in a spiritual manner that allows us to connect to the intensity and the profundity of the moment, um, not just in a medical context, but in terms of our own uh, spirituality and avodas Hashem. Uh, so we turn to you, Rav Willig, for, uh, for guidance and etza. Thank you so much, Rabbi Glasser. Uh, any clarity that you see for me is the result of my training with my Rebbe Rav Salavechik, who taught us as Rabbanim that there were fields that we don't know too much about, and we are duty-bound to listen to those who are experts in those fields. It's a fortunate, there are a lot of, you know, silver linings and hikdim refuel amaka. Zoom is one of them. The fact that the Zoom technology was developed shortly before COVID-19 is, enables us to be on the same call together. 45 years ago, a young Aaron Glad entered my shir in Yeshiva Sabena Yitzchak It's a long time, 1975. And little did I know that so many years later, we did continue the partnership that began across the desk in First Hall, that uh, we continue to work together on behalf of Claudius Rome. So the clarity that I receive in this matter, as in other matters, is because of my relationship with Dr. Glatt. And I think it's important to give a little history before we get to the vaccine itself, to put things in somewhat of a context. And obviously what I say here, will reflect the present realities, but it's also based on some past realities. I was asked what will be our, our posture concerning individuals who will not become vaccinated. This is not a new question. This is a question existed with respect to the measles vaccine. And there were those sort of anti-vaxxers who refused to vaccinate their children. And the question was raised at the time, not that long ago, should these children be allowed to enter into our yeshivas? Without mentioning names, I happen to be strongly connected to Yeshiva in Rabbi Glass's community and one in Rabbi Glatt's community. And both turned to me to ask me the question. I said, call Rabbi Glatt. He said, don't let him in. If, they, if they're in, they can endanger everybody else. It will undermine the herd immunity, which is so necessary. And so I stuck with that sock straight through. I was vilified for it. People came to yell at me about it. I said, don't yell at me. Here's Rabbi Glatt's phone number. If you can convince him, yeah, I'll just follow whatever he says. There's no problem. Well, the, the quack doctors never got a chance to convince Dr. Glatt of anything of the sort, so we still maintain to this day, to my knowledge in these schools, you can't get in if you're not vaccinated. Notwithstanding what other rabbis are saying, it's important to understand that rabbis are not unanimous. It's been this way since time immemorial. Every rabbi has to follow his own doctor, and every person should follow his or her own doctor, and, and the rough. These are the people you should listen to, not to all the conspiracy theories that are floating around. So it's very, very, very important. Speaking back of the initial involvement, I remember, I believe it was, it was, it was five days before Purim. I was in the Holy Land celebrating a family simcha. And I believe it was on behalf of the OU, if I'm not mistaken, that I had my first a uh, common presentation with Dr. Glatt. This was still on phone. I was speaking from the Holy City. He was speaking from Woodmere. And we spoke about some of the original, original problems concerning the COVID-19. Exactly a week later, this was a Thursday evening. The next week on a Thursday evening, we're on a Zoom together. Should we or should we not close the shuls? Should we or should we not close the shuls? It's important to note that the real heroes in terms of closing shuls, are the rabbis of the Rabbinical Council of Bergen County, who had met the night before and decided to close the shuls based upon their three hospitals and their representatives. And they decided Wednesday night, Friday, shuls are closing. Dr. Glad and I met with the rabbis of his town, and that night we had not yet decided to close the shuls. The next morning, um, and in my shul, shuls still open, and I see on my phone... Dr. Glad had called, and I called him back. He said, Rebbe, close the shuls. 
Later we explain to what happened overnight. Two things changed. One had his first case in South Nassau. Two, more importantly, he saw that people were not keeping the rules. There were rules. I put a sign on myself before Purim. If you're coughing, if you're sneezing, you may not come into shul. And my shul was kept. And Rabbi Glass' shul was a much bigger shul. There was not universal compliance. And as a result, he said, Rabbi, you have to close the shuls. So I changed my mind at a 180 in one second. And closed the shuls. I got vilified by two rabbis. How can you close the shul? Since was Dr. Glatt, the only red doctor in the world, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Later they called to apologize. But all the doctors said by that closing the shuls that Friday, three days after Purim, we could save probably countless lives. Because other communities, unfortunately, did not close that day. I, guess, I don't want to start crying on the phone. How, how many lives were lost? It's, 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 a, it's a very emotional thing. You save one life. You're saving an Ola Moli. If you're saving many lives, how much more so? And so we're grateful to Dr. Glatt. I should say we're grateful to Yeshiva University. The, the week before this happened, the epicenter was not far from my home, a town called New Rochelle. And we're grateful to the local schools in Riverdale that closed down right away. That was on a, a Tuesday. There's a week, a week before Purim. Our yeshiva closed on Wednesday because they had a boy from New Rochelle in the base Medrash. We thought such drastic steps. The schools are open. The public schools are open. The stores are open. It saved lives. Credit goes to the yeshiva university and the other schools that closed right away. The greatest credit goes to the people who listened. The other communities, which took totally different approaches than we took. And I'll repeat what one of our rabbis in the field said at a similar Zoom we had a week or two ago. And he said, and I, I, I second the motion, he's never been more proud to be an alumnus of our yeshiva than right now. Because we and our alumni, both our rabbinic alumni and our balabatim alumni, have by and large followed the guidelines of responsible medical leaders, governmental leaders. We believe it's important to follow the, the law of the land. We think it's a kiddush Hashem. If you follow the law of the land, it's a chalil achil Hashem. If you, if you go against the law of the land, over and above the safety considerations. And therefore, I believe that the mission that Rabbi Glasser spoke of at the beginning has positioned our Talmidim to recognize that you have to follow what the doctors say. As my Rabbi Rav Stolovechik said, it filtered down to us, his Talmidim, and to all the Talmidim of our yeshiva. This is our orientation. We believe in the scientific experts, and we don't take into account all kinds of conspiracy theories. We just disregard them. We have to, I've said many times, we respect all different opinions. We respect people who have the opinions, even if we strongly disagree with the opinions, and even if we advocate strongly that our opinions are the ones that are correct and should be followed. This does not mean we have to get involved in in, in character assassination and demonizing. It's not healthy. It's not effective. We have to just say, we think that we're doing is right. Our experts say this. And please, you do the smart thing to listen to us. But we we view other people as having a, a different opinion, as being mistaken, misguided, even dangerous. But at the same time, Rabbi Glass, when I spoke about this in the past, we have to try to, to as much as we can, have a measure of camaraderie within the rabbinic community, even though such a tremendously important halacha uh, la decision divides us. It is important that we understand that it's very likely a chiv de oraisa, a Torah obligation to take this vaccine. Now, the source for this is the Sefer HaChinuch in Mitzvah Tov Kuf Mem Vov, where the Sefer HaChinuch in the Mitzvah of Ma'ake is a Ma'ake to make sure you put a fence around your roof so nobody should fall off. He waxes eloquent and says, you know, it's not just a matter of a fence around your roof. Everything we do in life, we're supposed to recognize nature and do our best to protect ourselves from natural danger. From natural danger. Interestingly, on the footnotes of the beautiful new Chinuchs, they take a look in the Rabbeinu B'chaya at the beginning of Parashat Shlach, which I did, 
And there it says, you know, there is a, in the case of a war, he's talking about the Miraglim, a sus, a horse, and armaments have to be used. For Hashem it's a dual responsibility that we have. Number one, we have to do whatever we can to keep ourselves safe. In a military context, in a medical context, we have to do it. Number two, Hashem no guarantees. As safe as you, as you want to make yourself, no guarantees you'll survive. And as unsafe as you may be, no guarantee that you will not survive. But it doesn't relieve you of the Torah responsibility to try to be safe. This source is fascinating because there's a famous Rambam in Hilchas Rotzeach Bushmiris Nefesh, Perik Yud Aleph, Halacha Dalit, Komichshol Feshbosakonos Nefashos Mitzvahs Asei Lahasiro. It's a positive commandment to eliminate it. Uli Shamimimenu, and to stay away from danger. Uli Zorbadavayaf, and to be very careful. Shanemar. What's the source for this? A Gemara Masechta Brachos Lamed Beis, which is quoting not a rabbinic sage, but as a matter of fact, a heathen, someone who was a who attacked somebody in the middle of Shmon Esrei and he didn't want to answer. He said, "You should have answered me because I could have killed you." And he quoted this pasuk. And the Rambam chose to quote this pasuk instead of Minchas Chinuches, since when are we quoting an unholy source? And he gives an answer which the Masha already said. There's a Gemara Masechta Shavuos that says, you think that it's about spiritual danger, but forgetting about Mamar HaSinai and about straying after various Avodah So the Minchah is this question. It's true that a Chosid was davening and a Hegma went over to him and he didn't answer and he told this Pasuk, the Pasuk says, Kilorisen Koltmuna. It's about about Azara. Nothing to do with medical health. So he gives an answer which the Masha already gave. Shavuas Taflam and Vavam and Aleph. Another Gemara. They quote this Pasuk. Hamakalel Atzma over Balav. Hishamer. So the person curses himself. Khalilah can endanger himself. This is connected to this Pasuk. Therefore, it's not merely discussing spiritual danger, which is the literal context, but it refers to physical danger as well. This is what the Rambam says, and remarkably, this Rambam is the coda, if you will, the final statement of the Shulchan Aruch. All the four sections of Shulchan Aruch end with this Simen Tov Chav Zayin of Choshen Mishpat, where this Rambam is cited, Tov Chav Zayin Sif Hey. And comes along the Be'er HaGola. The Be'er HaGola gives sources. Usually it's very, very brief. These are his words. What's the reason why the Torah warns us to keep our bodies healthy? Because HaKadosh Baruch who created the world, Bechasdo, with his great loving kindness, to be good to those who, to his creatures, they should recognize his greatness, and to serve him, and to serve him, Keeping the mitzvahs and keeping Torah. Hamisak enes atzmo, one who endangers himself, kilumoes for its own borrow, he despises the will of his creator, he doesn't want to serve him, doesn't want the reward that's promised. There's nothing worse of the grading of a Kaddish Baruch Hu and his service than this. So therefore, it's so critical for us to observe this mandate. I'd like to discuss, uh, I don't have that much time, to discuss what Rabbanim have said about this and what should be discounted as being what we call today fake news. It's important to recognize that everything you see and that you read is, is true, no matter even if it is associated with names of great rabbis. Just a reality. I'm just going to give a, a brief summary, an overview of what's, what's, what's I've seen, what's come out, which was uh, WhatsApp to me, and then conclude with my halachic opinion and explain to you how it was developed and who agrees with me. A pasquil came out. 
Tashkvilin, for those who don't know what that means, is they have these signs that they put up all over the place. Signs. Most of these signs are in the Holy Land. They come to this country too. They come to this country too. This is David Kislev Tavshin Payalov this month. Das Torah. They, they, they claim to represent the, 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 the wisdom of Torah. Others have vaccine negative corona. Hinanu, who's Hinanu? The anonymous Yayadus Acharedis. Whenever something is anonymous, watch out. Watch out. No matter what names they drop, watch out. And they quote five great rabbis. I will not mention the names except for one because I have too much respect for these rabbis. I don't know what they really said. And many others. And here's their big, bold letters. This vaccine is Sakonus Chamuros Vinoros. You know what's going on? Terrible, terrible, serious dangers. And we have to, it's an obligation to whatever we can to stop the Sakonus Noros Vinoros Israel exclamation point. And they claim that some of the people are bribing the newspapers and they're bribing the Rabbonim in Israel and America with their whole campaign to seduce the community. It doesn't change. That's Torah. They be understand how dangerous it is. It's going to cause a machlekes and shiduchim are going to be a problem, etc. And they sign their name. So I want to tell you, we have a rule about, we learn in the Gemara. Butla mitzasa, butla kula. If one thing is shown and demonstrated to be false, the whole thing is assumed to be false. One of the rabbis quoted here, Maran Hagoin Rabbeinu Shmuel Kamenetsky, Rosh Hashiva, Philadelphia. Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky, in his own handwriting, contradicted this. Obviously, someone asked him, do you agree with this? He said no. And he wrote clearly in his own handwriting that what you should do with this vaccine, I never said yes or no, do whatever your doctor tells you. Which is exactly what I've been saying all along. Do whatever your doctor tells you. And therefore, this whole, let's put it up for you just to show you, this whole Das Torah is the opposite of Das Torah. It's, it's called Sheker. It's all a big lie. Okay, that's number one. Number two, on the positive side, on the positive side, there are a number of great rabbis who are responsible rabbis, who we know to trust, who have come out strongly in favor of the vaccine. The first one I received was exactly a week ago. It was, uh, I mean, it's not exactly, this, this past week, and it was signed by a very great man, Rabbi Fira, the head of Ezra Marpe. And he said he spoke to three rabbis, he gives you their names. Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, Rabbi Gershon Edelstein, they are the leaders of the yeshiva community in the Holy Land. And Rabbi Chacham Shalom HaKohen, who was the leader of the Sephardic community in the Torah the Holy Land, and they all said, whoever has the ability to vaccinate, nochon lasos came. It is proper to do it. I just got today uh, a, a video. I came to Abraham Kanevsky and they asked him these questions. And they said, he said five words. Five words. Do you have to take it? Srichim. Yes, you must take it. Do you have to be afraid about it? Lo lefachet. Everyone a bracha? Bracha matzlacha. For those in the Rebbe shorthand, five words came out of his mouth on the video, in fact, confirming this letter. Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky contradicted what was said in his name, and Rabbi Chaim confirmed what was said in his name. I'd like to tell you about something I received on Friday from a very distinguished Rav, Rabbi David Cohen, not Rabbi David Cohen of Brooklyn, we'll come to him later, but Rabbi David Cohen, Yeshiva Schever and Yerushalayim. Very, very major Talmud Chacham. In the Holy Land, the member he says as follows: I'm here to. I'm giving you the English translation. I'm here to encourage and to strengthen the charedim of Hashem and His most mitzvahs to fulfill the mishmat sechem and to vaccinate. And I know that Maronan Rabbanan Gedolei Hador Shlita say the same way. And it's important that those who are mishpor mitamulas shav. Those who are influenced by all these conspiracy theories, that they should ignore them all. It's all baloney. It's all baloney. He says, further, you think I'm just relying on others? No. 
This is dated Zos Hanukkah, just Friday. It was dated on Friday. On Friday afternoon, he sat at length with the local expert in Kupat Cholim, Mucheret, a Dr. Biton, who was a Mumcha Godel in this, and he explained me the entire process of the vaccination. There's no Sakon at all. And certainly the Sakana of getting Corona is tremendously more than any tiny possible possible danger that could exist with the small little what do you call side effects of this of this vaccine. It's a matana tovim and ashamayim, as Dr. Glad said. And therefore, Akabil Gamani I will get vaccinated myself when my when my turn comes. Now let me give you a little bit of the local scene. Dr. Glad and I were on a Zoom conference with a man named Dr. Afit, who Dr. Glad turned as the Mumchim. I believe he's based in Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, the expert. And the again, credit must be given. The Zoom was convened by Rabbi Moshe Hauer, Shlita of the OU. On it were a number of distinguished rabbis from across the country. I'm, I'm giving you their names because it's all to their credit. Rabbi Best in Los Angeles, Rabbi Cohen from Chicago. We had Rabbi Zubel from Agudas Yisrael. We had myself and Rabbi Shechter and a number of other Rosh Yeshiva, Dr. Glatt. And Dr. Afid explained to us why this was ha- happened so fast. I believe the number that he said, what the federal government put down, if I, my memory serves, 24 billion dollars. They, they, they risked losing 24 billion dollars so that everyone should be able to go jump into it and not be afraid of, of, of losing all the money. No drug company could, could afford to lose so much money. They, they go bankrupt. And that's how, among other things, it was speeded up. After the doctor got off, and some of the rabbis got off, Rabbi Howell opened the floor to the rabbinim and said, is it a chiyuv to take this vaccine? Is it a chiyuv? So the OU, over these last nine months, have turned to Rabbi Shech, the Shlit, the Mori of Rabbi, and to myself as their primary authorities, and with the backup of Rabbi David Cohen of Brooklyn, and Rabbi Usher Weiss of Jerusalem, to supporting us. Of course, we need all the support we can get, but it's also to give a broader, a broader scope, not just asking Rabbanim who happen to be involved with YU directly, but other people who have different backgrounds, whether it be Yeshiva's high in Berlin, or whether it be Yeshiva's Kloisenberg, they have a broader scope. And these Rabbanim, whatever their background is, are very, very enlightened and broad-minded, and they've, generally speaking, been walking in lockstep with Rav Shech Lashlita and myself. So the question was raised, is it a chiyuf? My response was, there were greater rabbis than myself on the, on the Zoom. I said, Dine nefashas maschilim in atzad. When it's a matter of life and death, you begin and decide, and that was the greatest rabbonim. I said, my view is it's a chiyuf, based on what we just said in the Sefer HaChinuch, in the Shulchan Aruch that quotes it. There was no other response neither yea nor nay, a statement was prepared by the OU saying we strongly encourage you take the vaccine. I took the initiative, although I almost never leave Riverdale, almost never uh, these days. I happened to have left for a particular occasion where I met Rabbi David Cohen and his wife who were behind one of those, those plastic bubbles, a sukkah. I took the opportunity to say, because he was on the call briefly, you were on, yeah, very briefly you were on, what do you say? Is it a chiyuv to take the vaccine? He said, absolutely, it's a chiyuv. You must take the vaccine. I called Rav Shech the Shlita. He said, absolutely, you must take the vaccine. Of course, pursuant to your ask, your personal health care provider. You may have a specific situation which contraindicates. But if, you're, if your health provider says you should take it, it's a chiyuv. And therefore, I, I asked Rabbi Hauer to add a sentence into the OU statement, which he did, which says, that pursuant to discussion with the healthcare provider, the Torah's obligation to preserve life and protect others requires that you become vaccinated at the first opportunity. It's not only strongly encouraged, but requires. I must say 
that I was disappointed when I heard Rabbi Usher Weiss speak on uh, Wednesday, I believe it was, in Israel. He stopped short of saying it's an obligation. I was perplexed because I know Rabbi Weiss well. It, doesn't, it didn't sound like him. He, on, the same, on the same Zoom, he said it's an obligation to give blood, to give even bone marrow. I could not understand it. Until on Shabbos, somebody gave me the transcript of what was given out in his name. I'll read it to you. And I believe that he would be right if his facts were right. But unfortunately, Dr. Glad says his facts, are, in this case, are not correct. Usually his facts are always correct. This may be an exception. I cannot say it's a full obligation. Why? Tell us why in the next few words. One who wishes to continue and mask himself, and stay socially distant, in order to protect himself and others, it's his right to do so. I believe that Rabbi Weiss is working with a false assumption that if you mask and social distance, you are completely safe from either getting or giving the COVID-19. That Gladys told me, as I had thought, that's unfortunately simply not true. As much as we encourage, as we encourage masking and and distancing, in my own shul, we demand it. You cannot go in if you're not masked and distanced. We know that it makes it much, much safer than otherwise, but unfortunately, the data tells us not completely safe. You can do the best you can to mask and social distance and still get it, and still give it, even if you never had a momentary lapse. But the reality is, almost everybody has a momentary lapse here and there. And therefore, for either of those reasons, it can't cover home both of them together, I believe that Rabbi Weiss would agree, if he knew these facts, that it's a chiv to be vaccinated. And that's what I believe is a chiv to be vaccinated. Now, will our shul exclude someone who refuses to vaccinate? Will our schools refuse entry to youngsters who will be given the right to vaccinate down the road? It remains to be seen. I don't want to prognosticate because we don't have that. We're not in that situation yet. That it's possible we will exclude them? Certainly. If we're excluding children who are not vaccinated for measles from our schools, our yeshivas, it's possible. We'll do the same thing for the coronavirus. We may exclude them from our schools as well. I think it's premature to speak about that because right now there are people who are coming in who cannot be vaccinated because they're online. I was asked by Rabbi Glasser, will I vaccinate when my turn comes? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was asked in Shul on Shabbos, may one attempt to jump the line? And the response was, and without creating a chil Hashem. My response to that was, you may not jump the line because it may yet create a chil Hashem. You think it won't, but it may, yes. And if I do not believe in jumping the line, when my turn comes, given my role as an educator, given my age, I'll jump as quickly as I can to be vaccinated. I want to conclude with the last question, which I have not answered yet, which is about the tefillah. So Rabbi Dr. Glatt didn't make the tefillah by himself. It's quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, Arachayim, Simon Reish Lamid. This cause is a different medical procedure. He This is an appropriate tefillah to be said when one is being vaccinated for the COVID-19. It's my tefillah that the tefillahs of all of us that have already been answered. We've been asking so many months and months and months for some kind of a refuah that we have this vaccine that the tefillah was already answered, there is a vaccine. Whenever they're able to get the vaccine, and they'll be able to daven Hashem, that it should be the refuah, kirof echinam ata, that Hashem has provided us with this, with the knowledge that human beings have had to develop this vaccine and the technology, and hopefully a proper distribution method. The government, they own the vaccines, they're giving it out for free, they have the right to determine Who's online first? Do I agree with them necessarily? No, but it doesn't matter. It's theirs. And therefore, we have to be, again, in line with the governmental priorities. I will conclude by saying once again, 
as soon to all the people on, on the Zoom and everyone else is going to hear from you, as soon as your turn comes based on the government criteria and you are able to get the vaccine, my halachic opinion, which is agreed to by Rabbi Shechta Shlita, Rabbi David Cohen of Brooklyn Shlita, and in, at least strongly encouraged by the Gedolim and Eretz Yisrael, as well as by Rabbi Kavaneski, if you follow your own doctor, if he says you should vaccine, in my view, it's a chiv, it's an obligation, a Torah obligation to vaccinate as quickly as possible. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Rabbi. That was a incredibly inspiring, informative, and uh, tremendously edifying um, set of guidance for our community. And uh, we are just so grateful for this and for everything that Rebbe has been doing to provide so much support for everyone. And uh, I think it's appropriate as we close uh, to just take a moment to express our, our communal gratitude in general that we've been able to come together as a community in such remarkable ways in the heroic actions of our poskim, of our rabbeim, of our doctors, Let's talk about our mechanchim and our mechanchos and our administrators, the parents, the children who have been sitting in front of Zoom screens and quarantines, and just the countless, countless expressions of Mesiris Nefesh that we have seen all throughout our community to do exactly what Rabbi Willig said, to live this Nisayon, to live this challenge, but to live it with the values of Torah and to live it with the values that define our community as such the special community that it is. And uh, we conclude with the tefillah to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that uh, through this vaccine, we should see a, a true Yeshua from this, and that Be'ezus Hashem, we can continue to move our community forward in all of its incredible progress towards our ultimate Geula as well. Thank you so much to everyone for joining us. Thank you to Rabbi Winston and Rabbi Shore for their help in putting the program together. Thank you to Michal Haas, who also helped with the promotion and the publicity. And of course, thank you to our collective home, Yeshiva University, for producing the Gedolim, the doctors, and all of the heroes that have taken us through this incredible, uh, incredible experience. Have a wonderful evening to everyone.